Good morning. This week and this weekend have been a veritable spiritual feast of biblical portions and proportions. And it's not over yet. It's tonight we have the blessed privilege after a long, and I'm going to spell it with four rows, long, long two-year absence. We once again have the privilege of hosting the Tri-State Youth Series. And I want to encourage every one of our youth. We talk a lot about evangelism. Tonight's your night. You see, a lot of your friends that live in the local area, they might not get on a bus that's going to Cassville or Seneca or Pittsburgh. They might not come with you to a Tri-State Youth Series that's far away. But tonight, the kids that you associate with at school they live right around this town, live in Pryor or Maisie or Shoto. We're local to them tonight. So I want to encourage every one of our young people to bring somebody tonight. Listen, everybody needs friends. And if we have 60, 70, or as I hope, 100 young people here from all over, young Christian people, what a great opportunity for your friends to be with people their own age and learn a little bit more about you and about us and about the church. So I want to encourage you tonight to bring somebody if you are one of our teenagers. As I said, it's been an incredible week, weekend. Uh, beginning of this week, I had the opportunity and took it to go to the Porter Gospel Meeting and uh, listen to Brother Robert Dodson, who used to be on the Truth and Love television program. Heard him preach an incredibly timely, powerful, encouraging lesson that was entitled, Revive Us Again. Rebuilding the church in today's world it was a fabulous lesson. Then, of course, this weekend, had the opportunity to go to Affirming the Faith, surviving the tough stuff. Been going to Affirming the Faith pretty much ever since we arrived in Oklahoma. We came to Oklahoma in 2009. First year there was 2010. And I believe, at least in my heart of hearts, that this was the, the best affirming the faith they've ever put on. It was so timely, so relevant, so powerful. It was awesome. And again, surviving the tough stuff, I want to encourage you, and, and all the links, as I said during class, will be in next week's bulletin, but, but go ahead and Google Affirming the Faith 2022. They have a, the North MacArthur Church has a live stream YouTube channel. Do not miss, do not miss the power and the encouragement of those lessons. The reason for this particular focus or theme of both those two seminars as well as a lot of other things that are occurring in our brotherhood right now is because of the relevance of those messages to the time that we are living in. The relevance of, of those sorts of messages in light of what is going on in the world and more importantly, the tough stuff and the storms that the Lord's Church has also had to weather over the past couple of years. Those sorts of lessons that help us to change our perspective of them and what to do in the wake of what the last two years have done to the church. You see, we live in a time where there are a number, don't know if we all realize this, but where a number of very strong, solid, firm, faithful, biblical congregations of the Lord's Church have suffered, many of them, a 20, 
25, 30% drop in attendance since before COVID. And, and the thing is, it's not just those that you might see or read about on the internet that you might not be familiar with, but there are congregations within a couple of three hours of here who, if I mentioned them, you'd be very familiar with them who have suffered that type of a drop in attendance. In other words, something we heard at Affirming the Faith, very first night, this is a brotherhood-wide problem. This is a problem that is infecting and affecting and inflicting heavy spiritual casualties on the body of Christ throughout as a whole. And that is why how we perceive it is so important, that we must see it from heaven's view. We've got to look at things from heaven's view and particularly this current problem. Because how we perceive it will determine how we go on from here and what we do about it and how we recover from it in its immediate aftermath. Which is why right now the focus on, in our brotherhood, a number of meetings and messages and articles and sermons and seminars as concerned and compassionate leaders from all over our brotherhood, many preachers, are seeking to help show us the way forward and onward and upward into the everlasting arms of our Lord and Savior. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to go back and eventually, when we get there, utilize the same text and message which Brother Dodson did so effectively and so beautifully last Monday night in Porter. I, I want to do this to help give hope and help and encouragement and understanding to anybody who's having a rough time with anything. Having a rough time with anything. As well as including the past couple of years. Brother Dodson's title was a little different. The title of this morning's sermon is taken a little bit, I guess, from Affirming the Faith. Tough Stuff 101. Faith Building Tools in our loving Father's hands. Please be turning with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, would you please? Hebrews chapter 10. Something we gotta understand. Tough times are always happening. Tough times come in many shapes, sizes, forms. There's always tough times. In Hebrews chapter 10, we see that really tough times were the very trademark circumstances of our early first century Hebrew brethren as well. We would notice this from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39, some of which we'll read a little later on. And those tough times that they were going through in the first century were also causing, if you will, if I can put it in these terms, a similar lack of attendance, which the Hebrew writer addresses very clearly in verses 19 through 31. People were forsaking the assembly because of the tough times. Last Monday night, as Brother Dodson lamented the heartbreaking decline in the number of 21st century brethren 
still attending our assemblies. Two years after the pandemic began, as he addressed that 20, 25, 30% decline, he went on to note how God, through the divinely inspired Hebrew writer, wanted his children to both view and hence be empowered to go through those tough times, to accomplish all that God intended in the first place. As he referenced Hebrews chapter 12, and I'd ask you to turn there, Brother Dodson made this statement. Hebrews 12, he said, as the Hebrew writer goes on in this chapter and thinks about all of the persecutions, remember we're talking first century, let me start again. As the Hebrew writer goes on in this chapter and thinks about all of the persecutions and the trials and the difficulties of these Hebrew Christians in the first century, he wants them to know this is just a demonstration of God's love. And that's about what I felt like doing inside. What did he just say? All of these tough times that the Hebrews were going through were demonstrations of God's love. Think about that. That doesn't compute. Then he went on to prove it. And he was absolutely correct. He referenced Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, which says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Then Brother Dodson went on to say this. These bad things that are happening, these persecutions, talking about them in the first century, but certainly applicable to us. These persecutions, these trials, these difficulties and obstacles and burdens of life are tough times, if you will. He said, God can use these things to chasten his people. God can use these things to rebuke us, to scourge us. But he says in all of that, don't think that God doesn't love you. In fact, he says, this is how I'm letting you know that I love you. And again, he kind of caught me off guard. Wait a minute. God is saying with all of these trials and these tough times, it's not that I don't love you. I'm showing you how I love you. And, and I, I really had to think about that. I really had to stop and go, whoa. That our tough times, Even referencing, obviously, the pandemic and the difficulties and dynamics associated with it, are, are, are somehow God letting us know that he loves us? That, that, that that's showing us his love? And, and you know what? Then I stopped and I pulled a Bereans Acts 17.11 by examining the scriptures more fully on this, and I knew he was absolutely right, and I want to share that with you this morning. You see, God loves us. There's no question. God, we talked about this in the adult class. God loves us so much, in fact, that not only is he willing to save us initially, but he is willing to thereafter chasten, challenge, convict, and correct us. 
God doesn't just love us enough to initially save us. He loves us enough to rebuke, to break down, to change and remake us. To remake us into his image, to remake us into the image of Christ. Did Christ ever have any problems? God not only loves us enough to save us, but he loves us enough to refine us, to purify us in order to steadily increase, watch this, our love for, our faith in, and our dependence upon him. He loves us that much. Did you get that? He loves us enough to steadily increase our love for, faith in, and dependence upon him. He does that all because he loves us. And he wants us ready for heaven. He wants us ready for the halls of heaven. He wants his family ready. And the tools that he uses to fashion us are the tough times. Those tough times and circumstances which force us by their very nature to cling more closely to him to pray more often to him, and to trust more fully in him. Remember the Hebrew writer saying, draw near? Listen, do you draw closer to God when you're struggling or when everything's going good? God loves you enough to allow some problems so that you'll learn to depend on him more. That's love. Consider with me the accounts listed leading up to this conclusion in Hebrews chapter 12. Because see, the Hebrews chapter 12 is, is a conclusion to, to something he's been talking about for a while now. Consider with me the history. Back in Hebrews 10, where we'll begin, once again, let me say, they were experiencing the same problem with declining attendance, if you will, people ready to forsake the assembly, that the churches of Christ nationwide are experiencing right now. And they were doing it for the same reason. You say, wait a minute, there wasn't a pandemic back then. No, but they were, you know what the reason was? You know what the reason was why their attendance was declining, why people were forsaking the assembly? I'll tell you why. Because they lived in the history, they lived in a time in history that was very tough. First century is a tough time. Let me ask you a question. Would you trade places with the first century Christians? How many of you, raise your hand if you would trade places with those people who lived in Rome in the first century. No takers? Those were tough times. Not saying ours isn't. Those were tough times. What they were experiencing was causing them to not want to assemble anymore, some of them. And, and in fact, he outlines some of those rough times in Hebrews 10, 32 and following. He says, recall the former days in which after you were enlightened, you, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribula, whoa, you were made a spectacle in those tough times. And partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Listen, none of us are going to go home this afternoon and find out that somebody's walked in and taken our deed and our house away from us, but they did that in the first century. You're not going to go home and find out that the government has frozen all of your assets. Bless you, Putin. You're not, you're not, you're not gonna, you're not, they did. 
He said, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. He said, that's where you started, but that ain't where you are now. Verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. He said, I know the times are tough. They've been tough right along. But you, but you joyfully went through that, but, but now your joy's kind of waning and you're looking at the tough times and, and the tough times are causing you to slow down and, and you're in danger of casting away your confidence, which has a great reward. He said, don't do that, verse 36. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. He didn't say, look, tough time's about over. He said, nope, still there. But you endure for God. You endure for God. Then he goes on to, to actually illustrate his point. He, he doesn't just stop. We, we have this terrible habit in, in our Bible study of, of taking a, a text, taking a, a chapter, and thinking when they get to the end of chapter 10 and chapter 11 starts up, it's talking about something else. It's not. The very next line, verse 1 of chapter 11, was the very next line the Hebrew writer wrote after he wrote the last line of Hebrews 10. So, these tough times that he talks about and, and keeping enduring and, and not forsaking their assembly and, and continuing to work and move and, and grow forward and upward. He said, now let me give you some examples. I, I made my point in chapter 10. Now, now faith, verse 1 of chapter 11, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He said, yeah, it's going to continue to be tough. That don't mean God don't love you. That, that's not the point here that's being made at all. So in chapter 11, he goes on to talk about some of these great heroes of the faith. Don't you love, how many of you just love the stories of these great heroes of the faith? Isn't this awesome? These great heroes of the faith who endured all this stuff. But I got a question for you. Have you ever stopped to wonder just where their great faith came from? Key verse, key, key point. If you're taking notes, write this down. Have you ever stopped to consider where their great faith came from. Oh, we read about Noah and we read about Moses and Abraham and all the awesome stuff they did. But have you ever stopped to think about where that faith came from? Because I got a newsflash for you. God didn't just line up the old zapper and just go boink and hit them with it and have them zapped with this great faith. It didn't work that way. That's not where it came from. That's not where it originated. That's not how it grew. It doesn't work that way. Their faith in Hebrews 11 was formed and forged and grown in furious, fiery furnaces of adversity. It was by being put in the tough spots, by being challenged by the tough times that they would go through, that God used that to help them to become the great people of faith that they were. Without those tough times, those people ain't much. Think about that. And God did it because he loved them. Why do we challenge kids? When I say kids, one, two, why do we challenge kids to learn to walk and to talk and to feed themselves and potty train them? Why do we do that? Because we hate them, right? Of course not. But have you ever stopped to think how frustrating it's got to be for some of those little one and two year olds? When you try to teach a kid who's never walked to walk and they're standing up and they're teetering back and forth and they got nothing to hang on, it's got to be scary. How many of you are afraid of heights? How many of you would ride a 16 foot unicycle? 
Teaching that kid to, to walk may be great for us. Grandma and grandpa might love the pictures and to come to me, but I'm telling you what, for the kid it ain't that easy. It's gotta be, it's challenging, and they don't maybe understand why we're trying to get them to walk. And maybe they don't understand why we're get, trying to get them to talk. There's things that Hannah still says that I don't understand. I had to look at her yesterday and say, I didn't understand you. And she gets frustrated and she'll tell me again. I, bump it doesn't get, I don't understand. And you can see the frustration mounting because I can't understand. She's got to be taught to talk. The, every word that I can understand. The smaller the better. It's got to be frustrating for her to, 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 I'm trying to get something across to you. What's the matter with you? But you can't. What about potty training? Potty training's tough sometimes. And the kid don't understand it. What's the deal? It's got to be a challenge, but listen, why do we do those things? We do those things because we love those kids, and we don't want them to be 30-year-old adults who are still crawling, still can't communicate, and still need a diaper on at 30. That's, we don't want that to happen, do we? Go to school, they're going to crawl, somebody's going to feed them. No. Say, no, no, we've got we to grow them up. But, but, but if you're one of those kids, it's going to be a challenge. It's got to be frustrating. But we do it because we love them. And God does the same thing to us. He knows that he must teach us to walk by faith. How do you teach somebody, I teach a child to walk by having them get up, by having them fall, by having them stumble, by having them hurt themselves, and you get them up, and you dust them off, and you hold them while they're crying, and you try it again, right? Is that the way we teach our kids to walk? I think God does it. How does God teach us to walk by faith unless he lets us be in a situation that to us can be scary or frustrating or seem overwhelming like, like, like a, a year old trying to learn to walk? And sometimes we stumble in that walk of faith and we fall and we get hurt and we cry and we call out to our father and he dusts us off and he holds us and we get up and we take another swing at it because he says, come to daddy. Down we go again. We eventually learn to walk by faith, don't we? But if we're not put in those situations that are a struggle and a challenge, we're never going to learn it. For example, some of these men, what about Noah? Let's go down through a list here real quickly. Noah mentioned in verse 7. Imagine Noah getting up every morning for 100 years, going out to work on the ark. People are laughing at this man. He's building a boat on a mountain. And it's never rained. We don't know what rain is. This guy is completely out of his mind. Can you imagine the ridicule that he and his family must have taken? You believe your father-in-law? The guy is, you know, he's got a problem. A hundred years of this. About Abraham. Think Abraham had it easy? Abraham was the so-called father of the faithful and the man whom the Bible refers to as the friend of God. We see him in verses 8 through 10. Friend of God. Abraham, father of the faithful, right? Great faith. Where'd it come from? Where'd it come from? We know he had it. How to get it? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you how he got it. He learned to trust God through a series of tough times. When he was told by God to leave his homeland and his family to go to a place that he didn't know, he did it. On August the 5th of 2007, 
packed up my family and we drove 1,400 miles. We knew the place we were going. We were going to a town in the upper Midwest where I'd accepted a preaching job. We knew where we were going, but I'll tell you right now, if we had known what had awaited us when we got there over the next year and a half, we'd have never left. It's true. Abraham not only went to a place he didn't know, it was in a foreign land that Abraham feared for his own life, just as many people do today. There was strife within his family between the servants of Lot and his servants. There was war. Abraham fought a battle to rescue Lot. In those days, it was considered that it was a, a terrible crime or something was terribly wrong with you if you couldn't have children and, and his wife couldn't conceive. Abraham also had to endure an internal family struggle between his wife and the mother of his son Ishmael. Terrible civil war in the family. Abraham also knew what it was like to have to bury your beloved wife. He did it. See, Abraham's great faith wasn't the result of a life lived without struggle or tough times. In fact, it was a direct result of being challenged, challenged to see God, to trust God, to experience God's love and power and presence and providence right smack dab in the middle of the tough times. That's where his great faith came from. He was trained to walk by God, to walk by faith, not by sight. Joseph, Hebrews, again, chapter 11, verse 22, great man of faith. A man who'd look back at the end of his life over all the atrocities that he had suffered at the hands of, of his family and a foreign people and all of these things, and he learned to see and appreciate God's hand in it all. Let me ask you a question. Where'd Joseph's faith come from? Was he born with it? Did he come out of the womb saying, praise God? No. Where'd it come from? Did, did, did his... Great faith come from the fabulous relationship he enjoyed with his brothers? Nope. Did, did it come from a, a stable home life? Did it come from a, a loving and stable family home life? No. We know the story of Joseph. Joseph had a prison record. Did you know that? I know everybody in prison says they're, they're innocent. He was. Joseph... His great faith did not come from a life of ease and luxury. His, his faith grew and developed in, in the fiery furnace of tough times. What about Moses? The great lawgiver and that man of faith who came back to be with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. His faith certainly didn't come from a lack of adversity, did it? Moses grew up in an adopted family while at the same time being pulled towards his biological one. We don't often think of Moses in these terms, but I want you to think about it. Grew up in his adopted family being pulled toward his biological one. That's not easy. Later on in life, he rebelled against his adopted family. Moses did that. Yep. Got so angry on one occasion, he killed somebody. None of us probably ever killed anybody or we wouldn't be here. He did. Later on, he left his adopted family's home and homeland, made God angry with his relentless excuses. Moses got incredibly and repeatedly frustrated with the people that he was trying to minister to, 
But he still had to put up with them for 40 years because that was God's plan. He finally disobeyed God to the point that he could not enter the promised land. You see, Moses' great and formidable faith did not come from a life of ease, didn't come from a life of good times. It was neither formed or forged in finery or power of what the world had to offer. He surrendered all that according to Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. His great faith was rather found and forged and refined and strengthened as a direct result of the challenges and the tough times he was forced by God to endure because God in his love wanted Moses to learn to lean on him and to experience him. We could go on, and I won't because you're familiar with it, but we could go on in Hebrews chapter 11, and we could read verses 32 through 38. All of those, those great heroes of the faith, Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. Oh, David's great faith. Now there's a guy who had it made for life, no rough times, right? Where do you think David's faith came from? David's faith came from the fires and the tough times that God allowed him to go through. Because God loved him enough to teach him to walk by faith. Tells us in verse, tells us down through in, in verses 32 through 38 about this great cloud of witnesses that we see in chapter 12 in verse 1 of Hebrews. And again, there wasn't a chapter division there. One thought leads right into the next. It says we have this great cloud of witnesses, and he's, he's building to his point here in chapter 12 later on that we'll get back to. Some of you who might know a little bit about basketball or follow it a little bit, the Boston Celtics star player right now is a young man by the name of Jason Tatum, 23, 24 years old, something like that. Went to the All-Star game this year. It was the NBA's 75th anniversary, and a lot of legends of the game were there because of the 75th anniversary. And, and Jason Tatum said that one of the highlights for him of the entire weekend of the All-Star wasn't the game, the game didn't matter, but was having his, having his picture taken with some of those who were legends of the game. What I want us to see in this great cloud of witnesses, these are faithful, not legends in the sense that they're not true, because every one of them is, and every one of these accounts in the Bible is true, but they are legendary, faithful characters. And so, as the Hebrew writer begins chapter 12, he says, we got this great cloud of witnesses. We got, this, we got all of these, these great heroes of the faith, these legendary faithful heroes. And we're surrounded by them. It's like they're, they're cheering us on or, or we, they know what we've been through and they know the challenges and the struggles because they've been there. And, and it's like having our picture taken with them. He says, because they're all a part of this, you need to get your strength from that. You need to know they're watching and cheering and, and wanting you to do well. How about Jesus? Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising. That's a word we don't think of, but despising. We talked this morning in the adult class about some of the shame that Jesus experienced at the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, Jesus did not live 
a life devoted to God because God flattened all his hills and made everything awesomely wonderful for Jesus. Jesus did not live the faithful and devoted life to God that he did because of a lack of troubles, a lack of trials, a lack of tribulations, a lack of tough times. Think about it. Does the Bible say Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin? The Bible says that, right? How would you like to be tempted? How would you like to be tempted in every way that every person since Adam and Eve has been tempted? Would you say that, that don't you have enough temptations on your own? Jesus was tempted in all things as all people are yet without sin. Jesus was tempted as all humanity. It wasn't that he was devoted to God because he was never tempted or never in a struggle or a tough time. He was devoted to God because he knew that God would see him through those times. 12, Hebrews 12 verse 3 says, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The word consider means ponder, contemplate, spend some time thinking about Jesus. Jesus endured such hostility from sinners. Jesus endured, he had tough times, and he had tough times in the form of people. Hostility from sinners, he endured that. It says consider him. Jesus, as well as David and Joseph and Moses and others mentioned in the previous chapter, all of them, including Jesus, faced all sorts of people hostile to them at times. From friends to family members to highly religious people to governing authorities, they, they did. How, how did Jesus handle that? Jesus, how do you do it? How do you handle that? You know what? Jesus' answer is very simple. Very simple. Keep on trusting God. Keep on obeying God. Let God take care of the rest. You with me? Keep trusting God. Obeying God. Let God take care of the rest. But, but what about the tough times, Jesus? What about when they come after you? Keep on trusting God. Obeying God. Let God take care of the rest. Isn't that the message of the garden? Father, not my will, but yours be done. That's how he did it. All of those hostilities. Because, brethren, if we don't, we can become very discouraged, just like it says. It says, if you don't keep your eyes on him and how he dealt with it, you will become weary and discouraged in your souls. I don't want that. It's been enough weariness, enough discouragement over the last two years. We don't need any more. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus and let God take care of the rest. Verses 4 through 6. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son he receives. I didn't train your kids to walk. Because, frankly, that's your business. I didn't teach, I didn't potty train your kids. But, but Karen and I taught our kids to walk. And sometimes that meant challenging them even when they were frustrated. That meant teaching them to walk even when they maybe didn't want to because they needed to learn how to do that. And the Bible says here that this is what marks you as a son and daughter of God. The challenges. The hard times. 
God's trying to teach you something. Doesn't mean God causes those hard times, but God can use those hard times. I didn't create the uphill ground that maybe we tried to teach one of our kids to walk on. I didn't create the ground, I ain't that powerful. But I still had to teach them how to walk over it. The ground wasn't my fault, but it would have been my fault if we hadn't taught them to walk. Why? Verses seven and eight. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. I don't ever want that. I do not want to stand before God on Judgment Day and him say, depart from me, I never, you're not my kid. You're not my child. I don't even know who you are. You know what? If God's got to teach me to walk by faith and God's got to hold my hand and encourage me and let me fall down every so often and bump my face, so be it. I'll take that over not being a child of God, won't you? If God's got to allow me to walk uphill so I can learn how to do it by faith and keeping my eyes on him in order to be his child, show me the hill. Because I don't ever want to have God say, you're illegitimate, you ain't my kid. Verse 9, furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? In subjection means let him have his way with thee. It means if God's trying to teach you to walk uphill, walk. If God's trying to teach you how to walk through a rough time by standing on the other side of it or by standing right there with you and walking through you with it to teach you to walk, then, then go, do it. It's okay. That's heaven's perspective of our tough times. Listen. Those of you that have kids, those of you who are adults of kids from, we'll say two to 18 still in the house, okay? Those of you who are parents, did you understand every time you were between two and 18, every time your mother or father told you to do something, did you understand the wisdom behind it? No, nope, probably you didn't. And you know what? I bet you understand better now, don't you? <laughs> See, We had earthly fathers who corrected. We didn't always understand. I didn't always understand what my father was trying to accomplish. We go through that stage where we think our moms and dads don't know anything, and then, you know, we hit about 23, 4, 5 years old, and boy, our parents got smart in a hurry. You know, one of those deals? It's going to come a time when we're going to realize that God takes that to the next level. It says, they indeed, that is, those earthly fathers, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. God's whole purpose, the reason he allows you to go through struggles and tries to teach you to see him and love him and depend on him and walk by faith through the struggles that inevitably come, he's trying to want, he wants you to be part of his holiness. Isn't that an awesome cause? You want to be holy? You want to be with God in holiness? That, that's the whole purpose. He does it for our, pro, for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. God doesn't allow us to walk through tough times because he doesn't love us. He holds our hand and, and helps us to learn to walk through tough times because he does love us far above our ability to comprehend. He does it because he wants us to be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. It hurts. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I, I love this verse. It shows us the goal. 
But there's three key words in this verse that we often miss, and, and, and I don't want you to miss them this morning. Brethren, I, please do not, if you don't take anything else home from this lesson, get this. There are three key words in this verse that we often read right over, and it's got to stop. They're too important. Here they are. You ready? Now. Present. And afterward. You know what that means? Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you know what that means? No struggle is forever on this earth. Nothing lasts forever. Now, in the present, it don't feel good. But afterwards, the word afterwards means it's not always going to last. Things are fluid. Things change. Things are going to be different down the line. Whatever the problem, the dynamic, or the situation that you are struggling with this morning, it's going to change. It's going to come to an end. It's going to be different. There is an ebb and a flow. Time marches on. Things happen. Nothing stays the same. We know that, right? Some of us have lived a while. Well, the problems don't either. But they will come when whatever it is you're struggling with today, there'll be an afterward. There will come a time when whatever it is that you're struggling with, even the events of the last two years, it's going to become a distant past memory. It's going to become a thing of the past. That's one of the blessings of time. And God knew that when he created it for us. It's going to end. There are only three things that are going to last. Only three things that are going to last that are not now and afterward. Because there ain't going to be any afterward with these things when we're talking about earthly things. You know what those three things are going to last are? The Lord his word, and his church. Those are going to last. The Lord, his word, and his church, and all those who are firmly and faithfully embedded in all three, to stay. To stay. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, and I have to almost giggle every time I read that, you know what Paul went through. He says our light affliction. Really, Paul, light? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed in us. Romans 8. I'm sorry, I'm getting off the text. I'm going to start preaching in a minute. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, there is a now and a present that is painful, but there is an afterward that it will be gone. Which is but for a moment is working for us a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Did you see the word temporary again? He said it's going to go by. It's not going to be here forever. It's temporary. If you're looking at it, it's temporary. But we look to the things that are eternal. The fourth word that we often miss in this, in this verse 11 is the word trained. Trained. Our son went to Camp Pendleton in, in California, and he was out there for 13 weeks of Marine Corps basic training. Now, I'm sure that was not easy, and I'm glad I didn't have to do it, okay? Just being real here, especially at 62 years old. 
And I'm sure there are days that he had to wonder, what on earth am I doing here? As he, as he sweat and probably bled, and there were things probably done to him in, in Marine Corps uh, training, boot training, boot camp training, that probably we'll never know about. Probably nobody knows about but the ones that are there. And he had to wonder at times, what is the point of all of this? But you know what? My guess is that when he got to Afghanistan, Probably a lot of those training exercises helped to save his life because he was ready. Sometimes our training, notice it says the right fruit of righteous, those who have been trained by the words right there. And I'm sure sometimes when, when Kirk's soccer teams are doing drills and stuff and they're spending three months at, at indoor facilities and, and it's cold out and preseason, what on earth are we doing? Is the coach trying to kill us? <laughs> but you know what? When the opposition gets tough and the other team is trying to beat them and unleashing everything they've got to beat them, I'll bet some of those kids think back to their training, that automatic muscle memory maybe, and they think back and go, boy, we were ready. Boy, am I glad for that. See, and that's what God's doing for us. He's training us, brethren. That's what the Word says. When we understand this, our perception becomes more like heavens. When, our, when we understand this, we can take the proper steps to move onward and upward and forward. Just like scripture says in verses 12 and 13, when it says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down. Strengthen, when you understand the purpose of the problem, when you understand the purpose of the training, when you understand that this is to get you through and to give you life and to give you victory and you gotta learn to, to walk by faith and you gotta trust God more and that's why I'm here. And when you understand all of that, he said, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Don't, don't lament anymore about the issue. Let's go. We understand why it's here. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Sometimes when you exercise real hard, you get lame. The older you get, the more lame you get. Okay? And sometimes it's real easy to, for somebody to say, I'm going I'm to have this exercise program, I'm going to lose some weight, and I'm going to get stronger, and I'm going to get bigger. And, uh, and they'll go three or four days, and they'll get, oh, man, that hurts. Don't know if I want to do that again, and they kind of stop. What's he telling them? He said, look, don't let that lameness stop you. That lame, you're going to have some lameness. Times are going to be tough. It's going to hurt. But you know what? Now that you know the purpose of the training, now you know the purpose of the tough times, now you know what God's trying to do to help you and strengthen you and mature your faith. Let's go. Does that change your attitude, verses 12 and 13? God intends it for it to. And finally, in verses 14 through 17, he says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. There's our word holiness again, the whole reason God lets us get through these tough times. Without which no one will see the Lord, verse 15, looking carefully lest any fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Verse 14, the word pursue, according to Brother Dodson, is a hunting term. He said, it was time he can remember his kids when they were sitting on the back porch having some sweet tea in the summer and the old dog's laying there. Dog looks like he's dead. You could see him, you know, breathe a little bit and move every so often. You could talk. You could do whatever you want. Dog won't move But he said, and this little bunny rabbit comes hopping up on the grass. 
That dog bolted into the air and down over those steps and went off on a dead run like a greyhound out of a gate after that rabbit. Pursue, that's what it means. Pursue holiness. It's a hunting term. Go after it. Again, holiness, verse 14, is the whole purpose for God's training that we see in verse 10 because he loves us that much. Verse 15 of Hebrews 12, sometimes in the midst of those struggles, in the midst of two-year or three-year or four-year problems, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get anxious. It's easy to get bitter or angry when overwhelming problems persist and they seem to get worse. But we mustn't do that, brethren. And we won't if we understand God's purpose for allowing the problem. Our trials, again, are often allowed to continue just so that we can learn to more fully lean on and trust and grow closer to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, and he said, when he understood the purpose, if I may paraphrase, bring it on. Give me another one. Got some more? When he finally understood the purpose. Verse 16 of Hebrews 12. We cannot afford to get so impatient when a problem persists that makes us either uncomfortable or feel overwhelmed, that we go crazy. What do I mean by going crazy? I mean simply this, that we go crazy and give up our eternal birthright just because we don't understand God's allowing the problem to continue. Because again, these rough times are not because God doesn't love us. They are not because God can't do something about it. In fact, it is just the opposite. It is because he loves us and he wants to give us the power to overcome it. He wants to give us the power to go through it and to see his hand at work in it that he allows it to continue. Through the problems of the past couple of years, for instance, how many of us have gained a greater appreciation for and awareness of the fragility or fragileness of human life. Through the problems of the past couple of years, how many of us have learned to appreciate and not take for granted more of the people and things we once did? Through the problems of the past couple of years, how many of us have gained a greater appreciation for and the need and the power of persistent prayer. Has God used our problems to help grow our faith? Mm -hmm. How many of us have through the past couple of years loved and prayed more and harder, especially for others, than we have in a long time? I'm going to get lame doing this. How many of us have, over the last couple of years, gained a greater desire and urgency to evangelize because we have come even more face-to-face -face with the fact that you never know when the end is coming? How many of us have garnered a new appreciation for just how powerful God is, how powerless we really are, and how hopelessly lost we'd be without our God? time to take the things that we have learned through these tough times and put them to use both out in the world and here in the church. Three things. 
Time to put them to use. It's time to draw closer to and be more in touch with the Lord our God than ever before, number one. Number two, it is time that we learn, that we took what we've learned and go tell the lost the good news of Christ and what they must do, as we talked about last Sunday night, in order to be saved, because we don't know when their last day is coming. And thirdly, it's time to show and tell the saved, don't miss this, it is time to show and tell our brethren every chance we get how much we love them and appreciate them and how we want to make sure that we all get to heaven by helping each other together as one from this point on. Those three things. Because if we do, the church will begin to grow once again. These problems will pass as we pass the test. And the Lord will be pleased as our training bears fruit. What Christian could want any more than that? I leave you this morning with the final words, same ones the Hebrew writer left his audience with who were struggling to understand and overcome their tough times 2,000 years ago when they were facing them back then. I leave you with his words. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his good will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. What an awesome God we serve. What an awesome love he has. And may his love help us to have the same perspective of our tough times that he has and understand what he's doing with them. This morning, if you don't belong to him and you're not part of the family, you need to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you need the prayers of the church, please let us know right now as we stand to encourage you with this song, which is, goes with this lesson real well. Let's sing it because we mean it. <laughs>